are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is an honor to bring the word of the Lord to you. This is Thanksgiving week, and we are all of us super busy uh, preparing for our day of celebration where we, as a nation, intentionally remember the many, many good things uh, that we have experienced, we have received. I hope you have a great time. I hope you eat everything because <laughs> uh, that's, that's what we do. So, um, There are three great celebrations that are a part of our year that really have Christian foundations. Two of them inter- are international. Probably the biggest Christian celebration would be uh, Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, after that would, of course, be Christmas. Those are international. And Thanksgiving, uh, here in America, we celebrate uh, at the end of November, as if <laughs> December wasn't busy enough. We put it right at the end of November. But um, it creates kind of uh, the holidays. It's this magical time. Really, it kind of starts at Halloween and goes to the new year. And we call it the holidays. Super busy, lots of get-togethers, but just beautiful. Uh, we have holiday music, holiday traditions, uh, special events, concerts, if it's a regular year, not a COVID year. Um, but it's a beautiful time, and we, as a nation, make an intentional point to uh, be thankful, to remember. Uh, this is more than just a national celebration. For a Christian, we, 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 should, we shouldn't simply be people who feel thanksgiving. We should be thankful people. Uh, there's a difference. We shouldn't be people who occasionally you know, experience gratitude. We should be grateful people. It should not be something we do. It should be something we are. This is really one of the challenges that recurs in the Christian walk, uh, trying to be uh, people that live by the values of another kingdom. This, this idea that it's not just something we do, but it's something we are. It's kind of like we flip the script from duty to worship. And I, I, you guys have heard me talk this way and teach this way a lot, but I, I believe it's fundamental. And I believe if you read the Gospels, the words of Jesus, this is what he is continually, continually getting at. Uh, it's not just something that we are duty-bound to be thankful, but it's, it's higher than that. It is an identity, a way of being a manner of walking in the world, a manner of processing uh, the ups and downs of our life, the, the, the good, the bad, uh, the, the great years, the difficult years. It's, it's, it's a way of being. Um, I don't think that's just a Gospels type of a theme. In fact, you can go from Genesis to Revelation and you will find r- gratitude as foundational to spiritual life. You will find, it's almost as though, it's almost as though uh, the writing uh, this, of these sacred books that bound together we call the Bible, it takes this tone that goes something like this. You need to be grateful for what God has done. You need to live with thanksgiving and spiritual gratitude for what God has done, what he's brought you through, what he's delivered you from, how he has blessed you. And if you do that, you're able to, to host his presence in your life. You're able to get church right. Like, for example... You come to church in thanksgiving. Enter enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. We we have to remember, we have to process how um, the Lord has brought us now. Now we're able to host his presence. 
And in that moment, we are able to be true worshipers. We're hosting his presence. Um, and that uh, also allows us to live a life founded upon promise. So gratitude orients us to what God has done to us. That prepares us for worship, hosting God's presence in the moment and building upon promise going forward. We're able to have this faith going forward because we see all that God has uh, done for, for us. Uh, let me tell you a few stories I think that I think brings this to life. Um, a pastor and writer by the name of William Stidger uh, had a lot of gratitude for a specific teacher he had in school. She had uh, really given, given him a love for uh, reading, a love for writing. She had introduced him to great literature and he said she sparked within him a love of the written word. Um, when I heard this little story, it resonated with me because I too had a teacher like that. Uh, in seventh grade, um, Eastway Junior High, yes, it's still there. <laughs> um, I had a teacher who taught English literature and her name was super easy to remember because her name was, get this, Mrs. English. Literally, that was her name. And she caught me reading over and over and over. And most of the teachers um, would kind of gripe at me because I was supposed to be doing math and instead I was hunched over my desk reading. And, I, you know, I grew up, we didn't have all the technology, of course, now, and we, I didn't grow up with a TV or, or you know, a VCR in my home. So um, I was a reader. And I, she, rather than kind of always correcting me, um, she was interested in what I was reading and we would talk about it and she would suggest books to read. And um, she had a special place in my memory, uh, for encouraging that love uh, in my life. And, and this author, uh, William Stidger, he was, the, he was the same way. His teacher, he tra tracked down and he sent her a letter of thank, just saying thank you. Um, and she replied in this way, dear, remember his name is William and so she knew him as Willie. She said, my dear Willie, I am now an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You can tell she loves language. <laughs> You'll be interested to know, Willie, that I taught school for 50 years, and in all that time, yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. Uh, beautiful. Gratitude should be who we are, not simply what we do. I want to encourage you to think of the people who've made investments in you. And I want you to think of a way to say thank you this week. I'm trying to do that. I think we all of us should try to do that. Uh, not just settle for a holiday when we can have um, a spiritual a spiritual. Uh, encounter, so to speak, a spiritual pursuit. We don't want to just do Thanksgiving. We want to be thankful uh, people. My favorite columnist uh, currently working uh, writes for the New York Times, and his name is David Brooks. Um, he is, he's my favorite. He's, he's a brilliant writer. Um, I, I have his books. I, I just, I, I love the way he thinks. Oftentimes I'll, I'll read something he wrote and I'll think to myself, man, I could not have said it, but I could not have done that good. Um, but he, he wrote an article uh, about three years ago, I believe, uh, where he talked about gratitude. And he, he pointed out something that really resonated with me. He said, 
Gratitude happens when uh, kindness exceeds expectation. Like, for example, he tells the story. If he goes to a nice hotel um, and the room isn't good, he's not thankful. He's irritated. He paid a lot of money. He had high expectations. Uh, if they don't have the, you know, if they don't have enough hot water or it's not clean enough, and he's not happy, he's mad. Why? Because he had high expectations. I'm the same way when I go to an expensive restaurant. Um, a lot of times I'll go to a, a restaurant and it'll be expensive and the food wasn't that good. Sometimes I would have just as soon got a, <laughs> a hamburger from Shake Shack. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> um, and I'm irritated. They charged me all this money. It wasn't that good. Um, Now, if you think about that as a principle and you apply it into our life, it makes you realize that entitlement kills gratitude. You expected it, so you're not thankful. And you're even irritated that they didn't do what you expected them to do. Now, this this should teach us something because a culture of entitlement destroys a heart of gratitude. You're not thankful for what's happened to you. You expected better. Um, Gratitude happens when What we receive exceeds what we expected. Uh, And so when it happens, there's this kind of difficult to define joy that kind of bubbles up. It's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. It's like, you know, uh, you've had this happen to you. You just weren't expecting it. And you're just kind of set with this joy. Um, It's a surprising kindness to you. Now, all of us are grateful when someone does us a kindness, um, you know, they, they do you a solid. You know, they save you from a mistake. Um, they show you a way you could save a lot of money. You're thankful. Um, that's you feeling gratitude. That's not you being a grateful person. Um, we need to work at being grateful people. We live in a capitalistic society that in many ways is more merit-based than the, the generations that have gone before us. Um, Let's, let's be honest, it does matter who you know, and it matters if you're born you know, with the right spoon in your mouth. You understand, I mean, we can take this whole merit-based thing too far. It, it, it helps. Um, but more than generations past, more than societies past, we are more merit-based. Um, why do I say that? Um, because we can begin to deceive ourselves that we have what we have based largely on merit that there was no goodness involved, that there was no blessing involved. Um, A lot of times we can be really impressed with what we paid for something. Um, You start a business, you start thinking about how hard you worked. And you forget that a lot of poor people have worked hard too. They just didn't, (laughs) couldn't convert it into wealth. Um, Some of the hardest working people I know are the working poor. Don't get judgy, don't turn me off, it's the truth. I know people that work two and three jobs. I know single mothers that work crazy hours. They just have never had the context to turn that into assets or or wealth. The problem isn't working hard. So for the business owner, we we have to guard against the idea that we did it all ourselves. Um, yes, we worked hard. That wasn't enough. You needed, you needed understanding, you needed timing, you needed capital, a lot of things needed to happen. And so I'm not trying to act like you don't have merit. I'm just trying to say, beware the creeping entitlement that comes into your life to make you think you deserve 
everything that God has benefited to, uh, to you. The basic logic of the capitalistic meritocracy is that of capital. You get it? Capital, capitalistic. Um, I give you capital, you do something with it, and you pay me back. It's not just me earning money, it's my capital earning money. Let me go over that again. Capitalistic environment, I give you capital, you pay it back with interest. Okay, um, our society is not held together by capitalistic uh, bonds. It's not. I know there are those who have proclaimed that, and if to anyone who's you know done their undergraduate, you've probably been un- introduced to the philosophies of Ayn Rand. Um, and uh, look, she makes strong arguments for capitalist-based society. What's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. Don't mess with mine. Um, okay, I get that. And that all holds together beautifully as long as you think your society is largely uh, held together by bonds of capital. Um, but I would suggest to you that your families are not held together by capitalistic or even merit-based bonds. Your friendship groups are not held together by capital or merit-shaped bonds. Churches, institutions, um, all, so much of the nonprofit infrastructure that has developed in the wealthier countries um, These things are not held together by profit function. They're not even held together by debt and the repayment of debt. Um, They are much more based upon what you would think of as a gift economy than you would think of as a capitalistic um, economy. Um, I can't pay my parents back for what they've done for me. I can't. Um, So much of who I am, so much of how I've been exposed, it's, it's a gift of one generation to me. I can't pay them back. I can honor them, but let me tell you who, how I pay that. I don't pay it back, I pay it forward. And I try to have the same care um, investing in my kids that my parents had investing in me. That is not held together by capital bonds. And so the society we live in of a capitalistic kind of debt-based obligatory, it creates this sense of entitlement that destroys gratitude. And oftentimes, I I hate to say this, but I feel like I need to say it for me and for all of you. Oftentimes, uh, poorer cultures do better with gratitude than richer cultures because the richer culture has been in some way deformed into believing that their bonds are their wealth. And that is not the case. Our families, our churches, um, so much of our world, our friendship groups are held together in a type of bonds that are much more gift-based, uh, kindness-based, empathy-based than they ever are in debt or obligation. Our society is not simply a contract based on mutual benefit, but it is bound together by a Judeo-Christian ethic of empathy and care. Even people who aren't churchgoers, and many of them are not even believers, without thinking, they live out a Judeo-Christian ethic of kindness to others, and they donate to nonprofits, and they help, and they serve, and they go to homeless shelters. And I know so many people like that. Our society is not simply capitalistic meritocracy that celebrates individualism or utilitarianism or ambition or pride. It is, it is, if that's all it was, it would fall apart in a minute. It's more than that. It's held together with this type of empathic, um, kind, nurturing environment that is historically celebrated 
with the changes that were wrought in the world through the consistent teaching of the man named Jesus Christ. He changed my life. He can change your life. That's some old-time preaching right there. (laughs) Uh, We celebrate, celebrate this, this culture of giving. When you think of the church, it is the ultimate expression of a gift-based economy. Uh, God didn't save us because we earned it. It's the gift of God. We don't serve Him out of debt, although we owe a great debt that we cannot repay. He doesn't want that. He wants the love of a son, the love of a daughter. He no longer calls us servants. He calls us friends. We don't serve in obligation. We serve in worship or we, we create something other than New Testament Christianity. It's something older. It's something more law-based. The letter that demands um, and even kills the spirit that rejoices and celebrates. We as worshipers serve the Lord. We choose faith when we're feeling fear. Yes, you woke up in the middle of the night, you're ridden with anxiety, and you decide to have faith as an act of worship. That has a chance of changing you, not the guilt of, man, I shouldn't be afraid. God's done so much to me. That doesn't change you. You choose to hand over a circumstance that is keeping you from spiritual rest. It's killing you. You choose. It's an act of worship. God, I'm giving this to you. I'm doing it as worship. You know the way that I take. We must live as spiritual uh, beings who celebrate and exalt the name of the Lord in worship not simply obligation or even fear. It's more than that now. He who was far away has come near. He who was so righteous that his very nature would kill us has veiled himself in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so there is no longer death when we touch the sacred. There is life when the sacred touches us. And more than simply the separation of a holy of holies where we are protected, we sinners are protected lest we die. We have been invited to become the holy of holies that we might entertain and host his presence. You, your heart is the mercy seat upon which the blood of Jesus is sprinkled as spiritual covering. Do you see? We, all of us must live out spiritual gratitude. Um, one other, one other uh, book I want to reference here, um, Roy Allen, or Ron Allen, I should say, wrote a beautiful book entitled Praise, um, A Matter of Life and Breath. Isn't that a great title? I wish I had thought of that. Uh, praise, A Matter of Life and Breath. He goes through the Psalms and he, he uses the language, um, the principles of the Psalms to teach um, in his book on, on praise. In that, in his book, he tells a story of a medical missionary. A medical missionary is someone who goes and they, they may preach the gospel, but that's not all they do. They also work in the care of sick people. Um, I, I, I think it's beautiful. Um, I, I'm highly, highly moved by people who live that way. Um, I think they truly are an expression of the heart of God. Um, he met a medical missionary who had worked in a region of, of India where they had a, uh, a very widespread problem of um, inherited macular degeneration, something like that. I, of course, am not an ophthalmologist, but you understand. 
um, something like that. So children would have sight, but because of their inheritance, uh, their genetic, shall we say, inheritance over time, um, they would lose their sight and they would go blind as at middle age or as young adults. You can imagine the horror this would bring uh, as they knew their sight was leaving them and they knew it was hereditary and there was nothing they could they could do about it. And he told uh, Ron Allen about his work there and he, he had started a, a clinic and um, through the, you know, the work of the ophthalmologist, he was able to uh, bring a cure to these, these people where they would not lose their sight and he would treat them and instead of losing their sight, they would keep their sight. And um, he said that in their dialect, they did not have, they didn't say thank you the way we say thank you in English. They said it differently. Um, and he told the story of how as they left, they wouldn't, you know, and they, they of course would be so thankful. Can you imagine if your grandparents, your parents all had gone blind, but you go into a, a, a clinic and a man treats your eyes and you leave knowing you're not going to go blind. I mean, that, that's amazing. Um, they would try to say thank you to him, but in their dialect, they didn't say it that way. This is how they said. They would say, instead of saying uh, thank you, they would say, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. I will tell your name. Imagine um, a villager, you know, uh, so moved that their sight has been saved, and they're not saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We all know that what that feels like. I'll never forget when I finished six months of chemotherapy and I I it was the last time I was going to see my uh, my oncologist uh, for a year. I had a year checkup, um, and I told him I said I, I don't know how to say thank you for saving my life. I said you know I said this is actually what I said. I, I was like I know our society just the the way we say thank you is we just pay people, and um, my insurance is paying, but I wanted to say thank you. And he laughed and he said, Oh, money's fine, money's fine. <laughs> Um, can you imagine that villager? They can't, they're not saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. They're saying, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. I will tell your name. I actually think their method of gratitude is better than our method of gratitude in terms of what God has done for us. Think about it. It's not enough just to stand in a service and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. We need to be like the woman at the well running through the village saying, come see a man. Come see a man. Is not this the Christ? Not simply thank you, but I will tell your name. And through the Psalms, you see this over and over and over. It's not just thank you. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my food. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my wife. Not just that, but I will tell your name, like Psalms 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Not just thank you, but I will tell your name. Lord, be with your people this week. We're gathering with family and friends. We're getting together with people we love. Uh, some of us are traveling. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Help us to not simply be people who are thankful, but help us to be thankful people, not just aware of a duty of gratitude we have, but challenged to a life of worship. We desire to please you. We desire to know you. We desire to host your presence. We want to manifest your name. We want to tell your name as a spiritual thank you. We want to tell your name. Be with us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week. Enjoy all the delicious food and time with friends and family. We love you. See you Sunday. God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.